All right, if you got your Bibles, please turn with me to John 16, verses 12 through 15. Um, we're going to be in John 16, verses 12 through 15. Shout out to the dads in the house. Daddy-o on the patio is what I'm rocking tonight. My daughter got me this shirt. I said, Laura, can I wear it? She says, yes, if you wear another collared shirt over top of it. So that's what I'm doing. I've got daddy-o on the patio. I hope your Father's Day has been filled with all of the ugly ties and uh, thoughtful gifts that you could imagine. Um, we are grateful uh, for our fathers. We're grateful uh, for those of us who are fathers to be fathers. And uh, we're grateful ultimately for our Heavenly Father. We know today can be a day uh, that is bittersweet as we think about maybe the, the father we had who wasn't the father who he was supposed to be, um, maybe a father who didn't, didn't do what he was supposed to do, maybe he was absent or even abusive. Um, some of us have lost fathers, some of us have longed to be fathers, and we haven't been able to become a father so we recognize this day is full of celebration. It's also full of uh, sorrow. And so what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes, and I just want to pray. Uh, yeah, if we could go back just to the Summer Nights uh, logo um, on the screen. There we go. And uh, I'm just going to take a couple minutes. I'm just going to pray and, uh, and just ask God's grace upon us. And if, if you're a dad, um, I want to do this. I'm gonna, I want to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And what I want you to do is stand and uh, I want all of us to just reach out our hands to these, these men who are doing this high calling. Um, and, and guys, you can reach toward each other as well. And as I pray, I'm also going to be remembering uh, yesterday was the, the 156th anniversary of uh, the Juneteenth liberation of the slaves. And, uh, and so I'm going to be remembering that in my pastoral prayer as well. So let's pray for the dads and let's, uh, let's go to the Father. Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, you are a good, good father. And I thank you for your perfect fatherhood. You are the father of lights in whom there is no shadow due to change. Lord, the best of fathers are failures. We fail our kids in small ways. Some of us have had fathers fail us in big ways. Some of us bring into this day emotions of joy, and others of us bring in emotions of sorrow, and almost all of us have some sort of mixture of the two. So I ask you to be with us as we are here, and especially be with these men as they lean into the high calling of fatherhood, whether they've been a father for five decades or five years or five weeks, that they would lean into this calling, that we would be the men you've called us to be. We thank you for the, the promise of liberation in Christ of which the Juneteenth celebration is just a reminder. And we thank you uh, for, the, for the justice you brought into our nation on that day. We thank you uh, for Juneteenth and then the 4th of July as we live in a place um, where, where freedom is a virtue and a value. Um, and we know that's something you love because you are a God who is free and you love and you, you, you have the freedom that, that we that you offered us ultimately in Christ. And so we just pray uh, that we would lean into freedom uh, in Christ. And, uh, and as we do that, that um, as we stand here as men and as we sit around these men, that we would be who you called us to be. Help us now as we go into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 
and amen. Uh, there in John 16, verses 12 through 15. Um, this is a 1966 um, Ford Galaxy 500XL. My dad had loved that car for three decades. As his godfather, who he called Uncle John, bought it brand new, and it sat in his garage, mostly undriven for the last years of its life and the last years of Uncle John's life in San Jose, California. And when he loved, when, when, when Uncle John passed, he knew how much my dad loved the car, which he called just the Ford. And so he left the, the Ford to my dad in his will. It was over 30 years old, but it was still basically in mint condition, except for where uh, Uncle John had scraped something trying to pull into his garage as he was getting uh, a little bit older. It was still pristine, beautiful stock. Dad, he, he owned a tire and auto repair shop, so he couldn't just leave it alone, so he fixed it up a little bit, put some nice wheels on it, souped up the motor a bit. But other than that, it was completely original, including the radio. So we have a picture here of the radio on a 1966 Ford Galaxy XL. Now, some of you, some of you know what this is. This is an AM-FM tuning dial. There's a volume button and a tuning dial on each side of the radio. And some of you, some of you have only seen this on TV, but some of you remember this. Some of you had cars who did this where you would turn the dial and, and you'd hear like these stuttering voices or like a quarter you know, note of a song as you tried to find the signal to whatever station you were trying to tune into. As you're until you find that radio station on one of those old school analog AM, FM radios. Well, I want you to imagine something like this. Something like this tuning dial, this old school radio, as we talk today about learning to tune in to the spirit. Our radios now are so, well, first of all, no one even uses the radio, but you know, we, we can bring everything up with just a tap, exactly how we want it to be. There's no art. There's no adjustment. It's just tap and it works. Well, I think our relationship with the Spirit is a lot more like tuning this radio signal than it is like just pressing a button on our smartphone. Jesus, in his last night with his disciples, is spending a lot of time talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he calls this Holy Spirit the paraclete, the, the helper the, the one who ministers to the church as, a, as an advocate, a counselor, a helper, a companion. Um, and he, he shares with them about the ministry of the paraclete. He says in verse 7, John 16, verse 7, that, that it's actually better to have the spirit inside of you, as uh, the outgoing president of our network of churches, J.D. Greer, has said, the better to have the spirit inside of you than Jesus beside you. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. If, if, would you rather have the spirit in your present Christian experience, or would you rather have a time machine to go be with Jesus? And how that shows how little we understand of what Jesus is offering to us in the gospel. And then he talked in verses 8 through 11 of how the spirit ministers in the world to 
uh, minister, the, the, the ministry of conviction and exposure of sin. Now he's going to talk about this positive ministry of the Spirit in the church. And in these, these verses we're going to read here in John 16, we're going to see Jesus give us three sort of uh, movements of tuning into the Spirit. So if you will go there or t- look up there at the screen, John 16, 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I have told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Three movements of tuning into the Spirit, like turning that knob on the AM-FM radio. Jesus is giving us practices for how to listen to His Spirit. Number one, number one, trust in God's perfect timing. Look there again at verse 12. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Even on this last evening where they're together, they aren't ready for what Jesus has to share with them. He will tell them many more things only when the Spirit arrives. Only when the Spirit comes will they have the strength and internal fortitude and internal capacity to receive the fullness of what Jesus wants to offer to them. Now, this isn't like there's some sort of like higher level of Christian faith. It's not like some Christians have some sort of secret knowledge that other Christians don't have. That's actually an ancient false teaching called Gnosticism, where you can kind of have this this access to secret knowledge that other people don't have. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is hearing the truth in such a way that you understand it. Because we all have known people who heard the same things that we hear, but they don't take away the same things that we take away. They can hear the same Bible teaching. They can read the same scripture. They can read the same book. Shout out to our book club, Derwin Gray's Building a Multi-Ethnic Church. They can do all of the things and the studies, and they don't seem to get it. It's not because they're hearing different things. It's It's because they're not hearing them with the ears of understanding from the Spirit, having the eyes of their heart enlightened by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and impresses upon them the truths of the faith in a more profound way. Augustine said that the same mature Christian hears as meat what the immature Christian receives as milk. So it's not that we need all this like secret higher level teaching. It's we need to be taught in the faith with maturity to understand what the Spirit is saying. There's, a, there's this pattern of growth to the life of the Christian. There's this movement, this, this progression, this maturity. God doesn't give us the full route 
when uh, I, was, I was talking to some folks before the service, on our drive back from Louisville yesterday, Louisville, if you're from there, I already talked about that. On our drive back, we had our GPS pulled up on our phone with our ETA, and it gave us, we put in a destination, and it gives us turn-by-turn instructions, but you can also zoom out and give the full route, so you know, okay, we're taking I-65 south to I-24 east to I-75 south to the turnpike south to Sample Road and to home, and it's just all there. And a lot of times when we're going somewhere and I ask Laura to map it for me, I tell her, read the whole route out to me so I have an idea of what's happening. Because just getting turn-by-turn instructions can be a little bit nerve-wracking. Well, here's the thing. God doesn't give us the entire route. He gives us our destination, likeness to Christ, ultimately eternity with Him, If we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of our sin, he will forgive our sin and give us eternal life. But he doesn't give us from point A to point B every twist and turn along the way. He tells us to trust him with the next turn, with the next step, with the next season. He doesn't tell us everything at the same time. I talked about this a few weeks ago, but this is what happened in the life of Samuel. After God rejected Saul as king, Samuel was brokenhearted. And look what the Lord says to him. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. Lost my spot. I get. I should just stayed with one spot or just read out of my Bible. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled. Samuel, the great prophet, has arrived and asked, Do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the eldest, the firstborn, the strong, handsome one, and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, he answered. But right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. 
So Jesse sent for him, the unlikely eighth. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. The unlikely eighth. It, I, I just... I shared this um, a few weeks ago. We were talking about the life of our church and kind of like next steps, losing our facility and finding a new space to meet and what's going on, what's next, moving to the evening, afternoon. And I just love how God doesn't tell Samuel that it's going to be David, the eighth son, who's out tending the sheep. He doesn't fill Samuel in. It's not some sort of play acting where he goes through all seven of the sons. He's getting real-time information from the Lord about what the Lord is doing. Here comes Eliab. It's got to be him. Nope, it's not him. Here comes Abinadab. It's got to be him. No, it's not him. Here comes Shammah. No, 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 no. Seven times, no. We're out of sons, Jesse. Don't you, do you have any other sons? Oh yeah, we have the young one out in the field. We didn't even think to bring him in here. He's not of age. He's not ready. He's certainly not the one you want, but it is the one that the Lord wants. Trust the Lord for the next step. Take the next best step. In your situation, in your season, be faithful. Take that next turn. The Lord doesn't give you the entire route, but he is giving you turn-by-turn -turn instructions. If you will listen to him and listen to his spirit, tune into the spirit, listen and take the next step of obedience. Even if you feel like you're in a bad neighborhood and in a valley that's been shadowed over by death. Second movement here of tuning into the spirit. Listen to God's truthful speaking. Look at verse 13. When the spirit of all truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He promises when, not if, the Spirit comes. Because the word of Jesus is locked in and certain. And this, the word of, of Jesus comes to pass in John 20 as he breathes on the Spirit and gives them the initial impartation of the of breeze on the disciples and gives them the initial impartation of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 2, as the Spirit descends on the church and on the disciples in, its, in his fullness, the paraclete is the one who stands with you in your point of deepest need, comforting, but not just comforting, counseling, but not just counseling, advocating, but not just advocating. Helping, but not just helping. He guides and he leads into the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. Now remember who Jesus is saying this to. Who's he saying this to? Saying this to the disciples. What did the disciples do after Jesus was buried, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead? They went out and they preached the gospel and they wrote what we call the New Testament. The words of the apostles in the New Testament 
are the words of the Spirit, which are the words of Jesus, which means to tune in and listen to the Spirit speaking, we start here. We start in the Word of God. We start in Scripture where the Spirit speaks. And the Spirit speaks the same words as Jesus, who speaks the same words as the Father, because God is not one God and a second God and a third God, or one God who is part God, second part of God, and a third part of God. He is one God who is three persons who are each fully God, yet not one another. The Bible talks about the Trinity in a number of different ways. It talks about the Father and the Son, or the, 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 the Speaker and the Word. The, the Father eternally begets the Son, and the Father and the Son eternally breathe out the Spirit, so that for the Spirit, as Augustine said, for him to hear is the same as to know and to be. The Father, Son, and Spirit are eternally one in will, in mind, in intent, in action, in communication. That the Spirit will never say something that Jesus hasn't said and the Father hasn't said. And this means that the Spirit's leading will never contradict what the Spirit has already said or what Jesus has already said. You know, there, there were a lot of so-called apostles who had egg on their face and words after this last election. This is not a political statement. This is a theological statement. Because you had a number of people men and women, claiming to have a word from God who said that Biden would not be inaugurated, but President Trump would be re-inaugurated for a second term, and that didn't happen. What do you call that? You call that a false prophecy. The, 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 the Spirit will never lead truly into truth that is not in accord with the truth, with the truth, Jesus Christ and the written word of God. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Listen to the Spirit's truthful speaking. Now, I do believe the Spirit speaks in and through the word of God directly to us and brings it to life for us in a way that is fresh for us in the moment. For example, I was reading last summer Colossians, and the Spirit spoke to me through Colossians 4.17. I was just reviewing it, just reflecting on it before I came to service tonight. Apostle Paul says, Say to Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you might accomplish it. And it was like the Holy Spirit took that like an arrow and shot it into my heart. And I thought, pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord so that you might accomplish it. Refocus, re-engage, re-envision, recommit, because the job's not done. The church is not yet planted. The ministry is not yet fulfilled. But that word always comes in and through the scripture. And when you hear the spirit speaking, you know because it will always align with the scripture. Number three, receive from God's generous giving. Look at verses 14 and 15. 
He, the Spirit, will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and will declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. The Spirit's delight is always to glorify the Son. The Spirit is the guy at the back of the room who's in charge of the spotlight. And the Spirit takes the spotlight and he puts the spotlight on Jesus. He takes his phone flashlight and he puts it on Jesus. The Spirit glorifies the Son and the Son glorifies the Father and the Father glorifies the Son and the Spirit because each delights in the glory of the other because they are one God yet three distinct persons. The Spirit eternally receives light and life from Father and Son as one in the eternal unity of the Trinity, and He delights to see the Son glorified. So you know the Spirit's at work in a a person, and you know the Spirit's at work in a church if the name of Jesus is lifted up. That is the number one mark of a spirit-filled life and the number one mark of a spirit-filled church is Jesus exalted. Is Jesus lifted high? Is Jesus crowned king of kings and lord and lords uh, lord of lords on the lives and the lips of the lives that are there? The spirit takes from the son. And here's the crazy thing. What the Spirit receives from the Son, He gives to us. Everything the Father has is mine. I receive from the Father. This is why I told you, He takes from what is mine, Spirit receives from the Son. And declares it to you. Gives it to you. Listen. Tune in to the Spirit. So, uh, what now? What now? Number one, take the next step. Pastor, I know, says, you're one awkward conversation away from things being a lot better. Have the conversation. Send the text. Make the call. Set the appointment. Take the next step. You don't understand now. One of our, one of our theme songs for our road trip was a rendition of the song Farther Along by Josh Garrels. It's Farther Along will understand it. Farther along, we'll understand why. We'll know all about it. We'll understand why. You don't understand now, but take the next step of faith in faith. What's the next best thing for you to do? How do you drive in the fog? The next segment of road 
You can only see a few feet in front of your face, but you just keep going. How do you walk through a blizzard? You take the next step. Each one of you probably has any number of next steps that you need to take. And it can be terrifying because it's like stepping out. I don't know if you've seen those high wire guys. They walk out across the Grand Canyon or between skyscrapers and they step out on this wire. Take the step. Number two, quiet down so you can listen up. Kids, I'm going to say a bad word. I'm sorry. Shut up and listen to God. Some of you talk so much. You fill your mind with so much noise that you can't hear the Spirit speaking. Quiet down so you can listen up. Ecclesiastes says, let your words be few. A couple weeks ago, I was in Chicago for a symposium with this group called the Center for Pastor Theologians with other nerds like me, and we talk about theology and that kind of stuff. There was a moment where where one of the guys leading the, the symposium said, just be quiet. Let's just be quiet and listen for a minute. And it was just like, you don't realize how noisy it is till you stop talking. You can hear, oh, the air conditioning's humming. You can hear, oh, that's like pen on paper. In this case, you could hear the birds outside the window. Quiet down so you can listen up. The great pastor and writer Eugene Peterson talked a lot about prayer, was asked how to pray, and he said, prayer for me has become apophatic. Now, you don't know what the word apophatic means, but it means without words, without expression, meaning it's a posture of listening more so than letting God listen to you. Because you know what? It's a whole lot more important for you to hear from God than for God to hear from you. Number three, stop trying to be perfect. And just let Jesus love you. Now, this doesn't mean don't try to live in holiness. This doesn't mean don't repent of your sin. This doesn't mean sin away because sin is cool. No, what this means is is that you will never be able to live up to the grace that God has already given you. And that God could never love you more if you are in Christ than he loves you right this very second. He will never love you more than he loves you right now. For all eternity, he is going to love you as much as he loves you right now. And that is with the fullness of his love shown to you in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for your sin. Just settle down, y'all, and let Jesus love you. There's a pastor um, who served in Key Biscayne for a lot of years who has a radio ministry uh, called Key Life. His name is uh, Steve Brown. If you've ever heard him on the radio, he's got this deep voice like the voice of God. And <clears throat> I didn't have that voice. I have a high nasally voice, and so whatever. And he talks about um, having he, his church grew a lot. And just kind of, then, you know, it wasn't like any magical formula. They just kind of, God blessed them, and the church grew and grew and grew. And they, they said they thought about having a pastor's conference, having all the pastors come to Miami in the winter 
and given him a portfolio of the secret to our success. Three-day conference. The first morning of the first day, they would give these folks this portfolio, open it up. It says, go sit on the beach for three days and let Jesus love you. You're dismissed. It's so much harder to do than it sounds like because we want to contribute to our own spiritual condition. Now, we are called to be partners with God. I'm not advocating for some sort of passivity where you don't do anything, but I am saying at some point you have to say, Lord, I need you how I need you. I am nothing without you. It is all by grace. I want to show you a picture, and then we'll be done. Um. Some of you may have seen this picture before. Um, so this was uh, three years ago. We were in, uh, our family was in Captiva for a week. And um, I want to read you what I wrote about this picture. Last night, we were enjoying the salt breeze around sunset. The kids and Laura were looking for shells, and I was sitting, relaxing. Watching the pelicans glide along the water and swoop in to get their dinner, I remembered a verse I memorized a long time ago when I was struggling with worry. Jesus was explaining to the disciples why they shouldn't be anxious. Matthew 6.26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they are? I have been wrestling with some pretty bad anxiety since January, and I was grateful for a reminder of God's care. I thought, as a pelican floated by in the water, Lord, it would be really cool if I could get a picture of the pelican in the sunset to remember this moment. Then I remembered a story from Pastor Steve Brown encouraging pastors just sit on the beach and let Jesus love you. So I decided I didn't need a picture. I'm just going to sit here, Lord, and let you love me. Just then, the pelican in the picture on the right spread its wings and flew across the sky in front of me. The pelican is an ancient symbol of Christ and his love for the church. And I'm really grateful for the Lord letting me get this picture to remind me that he loves me and he loves you too. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, will you help us to tune into your spirit so that we can lean in to what you're calling us to do, to listen to you, to learn from you, stop talking so much and to listen, to shut up, <laughs> to settle down and let you speak and let you love us. And when we're filled from that place, oh Lord, we'll turn the world upside down by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.